Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 99 of Season 5 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee ki our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Alan Sanders of The Alan Sanders Show and of The Wilder Ride. Welcome back, Alan. Thank you so much. Uh, it, it feels like it's just been four hours. I, I, I actually, it feels like it's been longer than that. <laughs> For me, the time, it seems like it goes by in the blink of an eye. Ah, there you go. There you go. And it, it apparently it does for, for the characters in the movie, too. So, you know, they, they don't have to wait hiatuses like we do. What can they do? It just goes, no, it just flows really well for them. It's almost like one minute goes right into the next. That's right. One, one minute usually goes right into the next, but sometimes we skip. So, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Minute 99 begins with Lorenzo still uh, in shock, and he probably is going to need to change his shorts, and ends with a whole bunch of uh, commuters, passengers, trying to get out of the, the door of the airport. You know, a lot of fake running. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> this movie does, does fake running really well when, when it comes to, to extras. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. I will have something to say when we get to uh, one of the wider shots, because... Just if, in case I forget, I don't think I will because I've got a note here to remind you about when my wife and I did our first ever zombie run, a, a 5K zombie run. And it's something I learned that when it comes to an apocalypse, you can't run holding on to somebody. Um, not unless you're eating their brains. You know, you can't, <laughs> can't hold on. I guess you can't hold on to a full, a full body. But, you know, if it's only body parts, then maybe that works. When we get there, I'll explain. But yeah, it was a hard lesson to learn early in the run for me. <laughs> okay, all right, that, that that is fair. <laughs> a little tease to keep the people listening. There you go. So we we ended things uh, yesterday with uh, John somehow miraculously surviving shooting the chief of police. Not just shooting him, just spraying him, you know, with with a full clip or almost a full clip because he still had you know magic bullets, uh, magic blank bullets left over afterwards to show that they're they are blanks so mm -hmm. and you know at this point lorenzo walks over to the phone and you see him still shaking and he goes this is chief lorenzo i want every officer recalled and assembled in body armor and full weaponry in the motor pool in five minutes and then he turns to the camera and goes it's time to kick ass <laughs> or actually he says it's time to kick ass you know, he doesn't like doesn't even let it flow. Well, and and he does the thing that drives me nuts in almost every one of these action movies. You know darn well whether or not your your clip is in there and full of bullets. Why you have to eject the clip, check it's full of bullets, put it back in to accent just how angry you are about right. taking action. And they don't even check it the right way. Have you have I mean, I'm assuming when you were in the military you you knew how how you're supposed to check, you know, if you have enough uh, bullets in the magazine, you're supposed to take your thumb and you're supposed to push down to make sure that it's a full clip. You know, he doesn't even do right. that. He just pulls it out, looks and sees bullets. that he's got a bullet there and puts it back. So he, maybe he's got like three bullets. I only need one. <laughs> you or Lorenzo? No, I'm talking about just 
Exactly what you're saying. Um, not looking at the like some some clips will have little holes where you can see how far down they are on the side. You know, you can see how full they are. Mm-hmm. But like you said, at the very least, you, you press your thumb to make sure that you've got every possible round you can fit in there. That's right. I mean, you want a full clip, right? Correct. But I guess in the movies, you don't need a full clip because everyone's got a magically uh, a magically delicious, uh, you know, clip that will that'll never expire yeah the only time it expires yeah, is when the plot they're, they're needs it for needs it to expire of course yeah right <laughs> so i don't know it's just uh yeah the the, the whole thing the, the whole scene is is pretty funny i mean it, it actually reminds me of space balls you know when when colonel sanders you know uh takes takes the uh the comm and says prepare ship prepare ship you know, like he's he stutters a little bit when he's like telling everyone to to get ready to go to ludicrous speed. You know that that type of thing. So it's, it's similar to because he's he he wants to say something, but he's still a little trepidatious about saying it. Mm-hmm. Th- this goes to the actor though. He's but does it still in a way that unless you're picking it apart, it feels sincere. Correct. You know, it feels like he really is. He's upset about having been misled it's it's dawning on him what's going on and he needs everyone to to focus and all of his his troops to like gather quickly like this is for real we're everything we thought is is now wrong we got to go a different direction and he does a very good weak lines yes there's no question about that he he definitely does did you notice that there's like a secretary watching what could be either a, a tv screen you know, maybe she's watching like a movie or she's watching basically um, a, uh, you know, closed circuit uh, TV or something like that. Not really sure. I mean, you can see it already yeah, in the first second. I, I think, honestly, based on the hallway in the TV, it may be that hallway you come down where the a couple of minutes ago where they came riding in on the cart. But it's hard to tell. Yeah, but it goes to show also that they they didn't do their job when they saw some crazy maniac, uh, you know, come down on a uh, golf cart, <laughs> screaming, "Get out of the way! Right. Get out of the way!" <laughs> well, they got there really fast, so yes, yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you can look at at Lorenzo; he he looks like he is completely sweating like a pig here. You know, he mm-hmm. he wipes his mm-hmm. forehead. You know, he and like I said earlier, he probably needs to go change his shorts before before he goes out to action right now. After what just happened, no, I'm almost wondering because you know how I said he was kind of out of breath and it was it was very realistic. The this whole sense of him having to like catch his breath because of you know and recognizing it's not. I almost wonder because a lot of actors will do this to kind of get into that mode. It's like he did a set of push-ups or something, and he's really struggling after that to, to then deliver the lines. Yeah, he he said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run I'm gonna run around the block, and then I'm gonna come and run these lines." And then we'll yeah. and then we'll and then get ready and action. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you, know, it works. That does actually work. If you need to look like you're really panting or out of breath, you might as well just go ahead and run in place for a little bit because it's a movie. You can just cut and do it again. That's true. I I used a uh, a phrase sweating like a pig. Okay, I'm, I'm <laughs> assuming you've heard that that phrase before. Okay, 
very familiar with that phrase. You're very familiar with the phrase. Okay. Do Do you know if pigs really sweat? You know what? I don't. I, I, and I w- I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that if they're like dogs, they don't, unless they sweat either by panting and or through their feet. But I, I don't know. Okay. Well, the truth is they do not. Because, I mean, obviously the whole idea of sweat is to, to remove toxins from, from the body and, and cool the body off, uh, you know, with the whole thing. And obviously perspiration is, is liquid and stuff like that. But, uh, it, you know. Uh, pigs just just don't do it, which is uh, you know. But to, then the question is, is okay if, if pigs don't sweat. So where where does this expression come from? You have any idea? Have to imagine it's it's obviously something old school. Um, some some term. Uh, uh, I don't want to drag the show out, but something to do with maybe some kind of farm work or some kind of something you would do with your hands. Maybe, I don't know. It's just something where you're using the term pig for something else. Yes, that is true. It's not literally a pig. It's a term that, that is derived from uh, the iron smelting process. Okay. And in, oh. in which you take hot iron, which is poured on yeah. sand and that cools and solidifies with the pieces and resembles a sow, a sow and piglets. So therefore it is called a pig iron. Pig iron. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. And then as the iron cools, you know, the, the air reaches its uh, dew point and beads of moisture form on the surface of these quote unquote pigs. So sweating like a pig actually indicates that the iron has cooled enough to be safely handled. Look at okay. now. See, there's an interesting nugget to learn for today. You, you. There's always interesting nuggets to learn from from my show and from your show. I mean, we we all have <laughs> interesting nuggets that we have to talk about. You talk about real stuff, and I just talk about you know typical. Bullshit. So you know why not? But you know, there's something that now tickle in the back of my mind. I knew the minute you mentioned iron, I was like, oh, pig iron. But I didn't realize that when it reaches the cool or like cool enough to touch. It would form beads of water, which makes total sense. And now we understand sweating like a pig. That's right. But what's really funny is, is that I'm I'm sure that there are uh, very few people in the entire world that will actually think that they're talking about an iron ear, uh, you know, creating iron as opposed to thinking of the animal itself. You know, I, I would say uh, invariably, almost everybody would think you're talking about the farm animal. That's right. Like even when I use the expression, knowing it probably had nothing to do with an actual pig, I still think of a pig. <laughs> That's right. Well, no matter. Now, even though I know now better, you know. Well, now you know better. Pig. You didn't know better a few minutes ago. Yeah, I'll still probably still say sweating like a pig and imagine a pig sweating. You'll imagine a pig sweating, and then you'll remember that we talked about it. And you'll be like, wait a second, there was something else. It wasn't really a farm animal. This is so long. Like, there's, I, we have to. We have to figure it out. What what is it? What is it? Uh, so then you'll just remember. Oh, episode ninety nine of Die Hard Two. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna listen again, and therefore I will be reminded as to what it really means to sweat like a pig. <laughs> so you see, I'm 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 gonna be helping you in the future also. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna have one of those Sheldon moments where you know, funny f- funny thing about that phrase, and everybody's gonna be like, shut up. That's right. <laughs> 
As long as you're not, uh, you know, talking about fun with flags, you're, you're okay. Fun with flags. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Alan Sanders presents fact. fun no. with flags. <laughs> exactly. That's actually the second time that that fun. that this has come up in in the show. So it just came up just a few weeks ago. So it's very funny that uh, you know it came up again. And he mentions the motor pool. Okay. Now, what what what? Where do you think that that phrase comes from? Um, my guess is where the police vehicles are either worked on, parked, and stored. Correct. I mean, it, it's it's used mostly in the military. You know, the motor pool is where you have all of the you know all, all the transportation will, will be you know put in. They're they're all sitting in like one parking lot or a parking structure or something like that, and it's usually uh, just a short term basis of of keeping stuff. You know, because like, because you have vehicles that are constantly being being uh, taken out of this motor motor pool and brought back in you know it's the idea that okay if mm-hmm. you if you need a vehicle go to this area and you know this is a pool you know when when you say that something there's a pool of something it means you have a whole collection of something there so this is you know this is the place where you have right. a collection of vehicles that you can just go and uh, uh i guess sign out in order to use right well i imagine when you think about it, especially in, with police like working the beat or whatever rookie cops they get assigned a vehicle with with another driver a partner's and i'm sure they don't keep driving that same vehicle all the time they may have it assigned for whatever their duty is but yeah that you you just pull from the pool of available vehicles that's correct exactly so apparently they have a place in the airport that has a lot of uh cars sitting around waiting for all the police to come come and, and use them I mean, we'll talk a little bit more of that that tomorrow when we get there. But you know, t- today we we still have some some points that we're going to mention about it. You know, and at this point, you know, we we see that Marvin is still sitting there, you know, taking everything in, listening to everything that they're saying. And he just you know throws his arm up and goes, just like Iwo Jima. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong with Marvin. Not, not not quite all there. That's right. But I, I got to say, once again, you know, the fact that, that Tom Bauer is, you know, was, I think, just a few years old at the breakout of World War II. So for him to, you know, to, to, to bring all of these uh, connections to World War II, you know, like a few earlier this week, he talked about Pearl Harbor and now he's talking about Iwo Jima. You know, it's just very funny that they're making his character so much older. In order for him to be mm-hmm. someone who who remembers these things fondly, you know, because if this movie came out in 1990, so it means that, you know, Iwo Jima was 45 years earlier. So that means that that Marvin must be nearly 70 at this point. But the, the actor himself is probably in his 50s, you know, his early 50s at the time. So right. what, what what do you know about the Battle of Iwo Jima? I, you know, it's sad. And because as much as I'm a fan of World War II and I've spent all, most of my historical views of World War II in the European theater. So outside of the Battle of Midway, the battle, obviously Pearl Harbor, and then us dropping the bomb, I don't know a whole lot about battles. Okay. Um, all right. Well, if you ever get a chance, you should probably see the, I, I recommend that you see the, uh, the Tom Hanks miniseries, The Pacific, which The Pacific, yeah, I, I've been wanting to. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I've seen it numerous times. I do, it. I do know, obviously, from the not only the Marine Corps hymn, but there's the famous picture of the Marines putting the American flag up at Iwo Jima. Correct. And if you and if you actually see 
the movie Flags of Our Fathers, that explains the the history of that uh, that Clint Eastwood movie that uh, explains the history of of the Battle of Iwo Jima from the American standpoint. Because I know I, I do know I want to see the Pacific, and I definitely want to see Flags of Our Fathers. It's, it's it's on my list of things that I need to still make sure I take time to watch. Right. So, I mean, besides doing Flags of Our Fathers, so Clint Eastwood also did Letters from Iwo Jima, which, in my opinion, is such an amazing movie also. You know, even though I'm I'm not the biggest fan of non-English language movies, uh, you know, especially three-hour ones, but it just tells you so much about the, the, the Japanese side of, you know, Japanese perspective of the Battle of Iwo, Iwo Jima. And to have an American director like Clint Eastwood, you know, in the same year, put out two movies, you know, showing two perspectives on the same battle is just amazing. You know, it, it shows how uh, how great a director he really is, that he's able to to take on, he was able to take on projects like this. I mean, I don't know if nowadays when he's in his 90s, he's able to do that. Uh, you know, he's, he's not directing as many as he used to, <laughs> mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. I think he's actually working on his last one. I think he... I remember hearing the story that he is hoping to have the final movie of his directing career started and completed this year or or maybe early next year. Right. Well, he's, oh, he's what, 92? Yeah, he's 93 right now. Wow. Um, and That's, how amazing is that? that I mean, really I, I want to be able to say that I hit my 90s and I'm still doing something I love. And you're making uh, you're directing movies <laughs> and acting in them at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a movie called uh, Juror Number Two which is what he's uh, working on right now. Uh, I, I didn't know that, that, that he said that this is going to be his last project that I didn't. Okay. Well, I mean, it makes, it sort of makes sense. At a certain point, you got to start hedging your bets. Yeah. Well, and at yeah. the same time, unless you're going to self-fund it at the studios, like, do we fund something that might not get finished or we'll have to hand it over to someone else halfway through. I mean, it's a real, it's a real legitical, it's a real legitimate, uh, you know, conversation piece to have when yes. you're talking, somebody who's in their early 90s right but maybe maybe he actually has someone you know shadowing him you know to 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 take over if need be i mean the movie also has uh keith Kiefer sutherland in it but uh i mean they they stopped production because of the because of the strike so yeah uh we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what happens with that in the end you know uh, actually maybe by the time this airs uh the, the the strike will be over, but uh, for some reason I doubt it, because <laughs> because of the time difference between recording and and releasing. So you know who knows. So uh, we'll see. Back to what we were talking about. The Battle of Iwo Jima raged from the 19th of February to the 26th of March 1945. So that is a little over a month, and it was one of the major battles uh, between the the U.S. Marine Corps, the U.S. Marine Corps, and uh, and and uh, and the Japanese army during World War II. Uh, the Americans basically invaded the island of Iwo Jima, which it was the name of the operation was called Operation Detachment, and the the whole idea was is that there were two airfields on this uh, island, and they wanted to capture them in order to 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 get a closer stepping stone uh, to the Japanese uh, mainland. And like I said, if you if you watch the Pacific or I mean, you can even go all the way back and, and watch John Wayne movies like The Sands of Iwo Jima just to give you an idea of what's going on. But, uh, you know, there, there's there's a number of places that you can go to get to, to to visually see it. 
you know, that type of thing. Um, they had over 100,000 Marines, or sorry, over 100,000 U.S. troops were were involved in this uh, battle. And there were more than 500 ships that they had. And the, the Japanese only had a, about 21,000 troops there. And they were still able to hold off for, for over a month. So that, uh, you know, they, they're, they're very resilient. They were very I mean, resilient. Yeah. Uh, well, it's that whole adage when you're fighting for your, what you think is your land that's yours versus being on someone else's land, you, 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 you fight harder. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so, okay. Of the 110,000 Marines that are there, or I keep saying that of the 110,000 U S troops, um, how many casualties do you think there were? Well, I know there were always just so many on all of the island hopping battles. So, I mean, you had 20,000 Japanese holding off for a month. You would like to think it was at least that each Japanese soldier was able to get one kill. So are we talking over 20,000? Okay, there, there weren't 20,000 kills, but there were, there were approximately, there were nearly 27,000 casualties. And among that, there were 6,100 Marines that were killed. So think about that. that the carnage for a small island in the Pacific. That's right. That's definitely true. And okay, so now look at the Japanese side. What do you, how many do you think, uh, what were their casualties like? So again, they had about, they had 21,000 troops there. I got to imagine once again, being, believing that their emperor was divine and that they were doing this for their, you know, their country. I got to say at least half of them. So well over 10,000 casualties. 18,000 dead or missing soldiers. So almost all of them just went out fighting. That's right. They all died fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And again, if you watch any of those movies that, that we mentioned before, the, I mean, you'll, you'll see how much carnage there, there. I mean, obviously it's from a uh, Hollywood view, but, but still there was a lot of carnage there. It's mind blowing. Basically there were two ships that were uh, named the, uh, the USS Iwo Jima. Uh, obviously, there, you have the memorial, the Marine Corps Memorial, which you, you talked about, which was uh, dedicated in, on the 10th of November, 1954 at Arlington. Uh, I've, I've actually been there. It's just it's amazing how huge it is. You know, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the famous picture, if anyone is unfamiliar, of uh, I think five or six uh, men that, that were putting up the, the flag, you know, when the, the U.S. took over, you know, the top hill. And as I started saying before, there were there were two ships that they named uh, the uh, USS Iwo Jima's. There was uh, there the, there was one that that uh, was was in use from 1961 to 1993 when it was retired, and then they uh, have another one in 2001 that was uh, christened the uh, USS Iwo Jima, which I actually find very interesting that that they've. They have, you know, that they re they named a new ship by the same name. It's not, it's not like it's the Enterprise A or, or Enterprise C or something like that. It, <laughs> it's just they're both called the Iwo Jimas. You know, they, mm -hmm. they don't say Iwo Jima B or something like that. No, but I think, well, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, again, this is one of those things where you think you know, but I, I don't remember reading this anywhere. But I think as long as one of the ships gets decommissioned as the other one is is commissioned it can have the same name but i don't think you have two commissions right at the same yeah, okay time. no that 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 makes sense that that i, I i'm aware of you know just, you, 
you know, you got to make sure that one is uh, no longer in use before you reuse the name, but, but still. Makes you wonder that they go, but this is the new and improved Iwo Jima. <laughs> but wait, it slices, it dices. <laughs> <laughs> the transporter room is just, you know, uh, much better. And so is Sigma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and then after after this happens, we see Lorenzo run out of the room also. And then we, we get a shot of people in the airport looking at the news report, seeing what Thornburg is saying. And we actually get to hear him, even though I'm curious to know how these people can actually hear it, because I doubt that these TV screens are blasting, you know, the the audio. No, isn't that funny? Had you never said this, had you just this second never said that, it never crosses our minds as a movie watcher that there's no way everyone in as loud and as ranging as an airport is, you know, on those concourses, there's no way all of a sudden the little TV speaker in the one bar where they said, turn it up, <laughs> that the entire airport is hearing it. That's right. And yet we buy it because we're hearing it as the voiceover. We're watching it, you know, the movie, but we're hearing it as if we're the ones sitting in the bar and we just naturally go, well, of course, everyone's going to run at the same time. Of course, of course. <laughs> And Thornburg, basically, we hear him say, since then, this reporter has learned that the terrorists have virtual control of the entire airport, a fact that the authorities have repressed. The terrorists promise more bloodshed unless their demands are met. And now that a special army commandos have arrived at the airport, the likelihood of a full-scale and deadly battle is dangerously close. And and people are starting to, you know, it, it's funny that he mentions that they now have control over the entire airport. But all these people are in the airport and they're like, who's in control here? You know, <laughs> what is he talking about? No one said anything to me about that. And what goes along with this, and I and I love this because initially I think they were sort of mocking the the poor investigative journalist, you know, because he's technically telling he believes is the truth based on what he knows, but we know he doesn't know everything, yet that's the story that's going out over the wire. So that's what everybody thinks has been vetted and true, but it's not. It's not entirely true. It's his version of what he thinks is true, which is what's causing the panic, which is ironic. You're mocking that maybe back in the 90s, and one would argue we've only gotten worse with your media today. <laughs> exactly. But we're, we're going to steer, steer far away from politics here. You know, but uh, right. I, yeah. I'm just commenting because you know that it was more about making fun of Thornburg in this yeah. that he's sort of like the butt of the joke here because he's hyping he's hyping a story because he's in it and he's making himself correct. I mean, and that's I think you know I I think the whole idea of Thornburg both in this movie and the previous movie he he's basically supposed to be like a Geraldo Rivera type of guy. Right. You know that that's and, the thing. And at the time, kind of mocking him for his sensationalism that doesn't always pan out. Correct. That's right. And as the people are starting to 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 get crazy here, you know, we we see them like knock over different things in stores. You know, there's there's like an aquarium that gets knocked over. That it's really really cool looking. The way that the the you know the water inside you know changes because it's been tipped over. You can see that at the twenty nine second mark. Um, not really mm -hmm. sure what that's supposed to be, but it just looks really cool. Yeah, maybe it's like a okay, sharper so image. I know what this is. You do? This was actually just, yeah, really popular for like calming you down for like the meditation. You had the two layers of liquid. One was heavier than the other. One dyed to be a different color. 
So by moving on this little motor back and forth, it would simulate the motion of waves. And it was designed to be kind of an office decoration, but if you stared at it, it would calm you down. This whole idea of this, almost like you're watching water, like waves coming in and out of the shore. Oh, wow. That's really cool. I mean, I have yeah, I, I have isn't one of those things, enough? you know, I have one of the things in my office where, you know, if you flip it over, then like it starts uh, dripping down one one color into another color, you know, and like floats. So it's a similar type of thing, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Yeah, it, it's like the lava lamps, but rather than it like heating up and, and rising to the surface, then it cooling down and coming back down. It's literally on a motor that rocks it slowly. And so it creates this motion back and forth. And because it's the two almost like oil and water. They don't mix, so they end up staying separated. Right. And it's just, it was a, it was a huge fad at places like Sharper Image and other stores like that. That were just, you know, what do you buy for the person that's got everything? Well, get them a motion of the ocean wall, you know, decoration or whatever. Right. But I mean, it looks like someone tips it over. That's the thing. But if you're saying that it that that it usually is supposed to be that way, so maybe maybe someone just like knocks into it, so it looks like it's just uh, right. moving from that we're, perspective. We're not seeing it we're not seeing it long enough to rock the other way because it literally was on a, uh, two little arms or pivots that would like one side would come down almost like a seesaw. Right. And it would go up on one side and then it would come down. So that way it would create that rocking motion. Correct. But somebody drops a vase right by it for some reason. That's right. Well, cause you can break a vase. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, people are really running out of here. You know, everyone's like running out of the newsstand. And then we once again, see, uh, you know, Thornburg on the TV screen, continuing to talk. And then it switches back to, to Thornburg as he's talking. And once again, we get to see that he's holding the phone upside down. He's still holding the phone upside <laughs> down. Well, it's from the original take yesterday. <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe. Or the day before. I'm, I'm again, I'm still amazed that nobody caught this at the time. Can I ask now what I think should be a reasonable question? Of course. Where are they running to? Like you're in a giant airport, you're either there to catch a flight to leave, or to wait for somebody to land. I mean, are you abandoning the people like, who are who you're waiting for? Like the hell, or are you the hell with grandma? I'm getting out of here. Right. Like, like in, in reality, if this were to happen, I mean, I'm just curious what would really happen if all of a sudden, over the speakers, ladies and gentlemen, we have just found out this airport is no longer in the control of our authorities. There is a commando unit on scene. I mean, don't you think you would just kind of sit still and say, okay, it's not happening here. What, what are you going to do? Run to your car and leave? I guess that's what the people are trying to do. It's, I mean, it works because, I mean, it's sheer panic. People do stupid things. But in reality, I'm like, you guys didn't mad, it didn't bother you that a plane just, you know, crashed on the runway and 200 people fine just hanging out in the airport drinking and, you know, waiting. But now all of a sudden there may have been a terrorist incident. Well, oh, duh, the plane crashed. Again, we'll go back to the airplane uh, scenario, you know, where they get, where they say, well, you know, we're we're running into trouble and whatever, and you know, we don't have a pilot and uh, we're all out of coffee, and then everyone goes crazy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that's the emergency. Coffee? No. Ah! Exactly. You know, everything else no one really cares about, but no more coffee. Oh my God. Ah. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I agree with you. There, there's yet, no way of knowing where they're running to. <laughs> right. But but it works. It works in a movie. We, we feel the panic, the urgency, because now not only have we gotten, you know, the, the rug pulled out from under us within the last, you know, this week's worth of minutes we're talking about. But the 
we get to feel that energy now play out on screen. Correct. Yeah. And they, and they do it really well. You know, the, the newsstand or gift shop or something like that, you know, the, where anyone who's been in an airport is, is familiar with it, the way that these things work and stuff like that. You know, it's not, it's not new that, you know, you're going to go there and you, you know that the prices are going to be, uh, you know, really much higher than, than what you normally, you know, you usually get a stick of gum or a pack of gum for a certain price and this will be twice the price. You know, they're, they're basically tourist traps. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you're stuck there. What are you going to do? That's right. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're just going to have to, if, if you want that pack of gum, you got to pay for it. <laughs> That's why. And, and, you know, now, nowadays we have the, the whole, uh, scam where, you know, you, you, because you can't take any drinks on a plane with you. Okay. Sorry. You can't bring drinks through the, uh, you know, through the TSA checkpoints, but once you're beyond the TSA checkpoint, you can actually buy a drink and then take it onto the plane. Right. And they don't care. <laughs> so yeah. it's that we don't trust your liquids, but we but we trust the, the expensive liquids that that you must buy, you know, if you want something to drink. We get another shot of people just completely in panic, running in all different directions. Uh, you know, you, you see like a guy who's who's running that looks like he's holding like a a gym bag, and he's like screaming, and it looks like. Uh, these people are all running from the apocalypse and that I guess brings us to what you asked me to remind you of earlier this minute, you know, that, to talk about what, how you and your wife found out about, uh, you know, wh why it's not good if you're in a zombie apocalypse to be, uh, you know, running in pairs. Yeah. They've got a couple of stunt actors who right about second 53 in this, they do a stage dive, the two of them. And then they do this thing where they both are getting up, hanging on to one another as if they're both trying to help each other up while they're both on the ground at the same time. They get up, they spin. The one guy has his arm around shoulder. She's got his arm, her arm around his back and they run out holding on to one another. Yes. Until the, the end of the minute, at the end of the minute, they actually, you know, no longer are embracing, but they embrace for, for, for a good 10 seconds here as they're running. Yeah. You do see them eventually split apart and it looks like they're approaching like some kind of a plan. So what I wanted to talk about is how you realize that's a movie trope. It is not a real life one. I don't know anybody who in real life that has ever been in a situation would find themselves running more efficiently by hanging on to another human being. Efficiently because or wanting to save somebody? You know, it's like the type of thing that, you know, you're, you, you want to, if, if you're with a loved one and you're running somewhere, you're going to want to hold on to them with your life, you know, so that you both get out okay, safe. That point until you're really put to this put to the test unless you're george costanza and you know there, there's a fire in an apartment set by a uh you know set by a clown right but in reality let's talk zombie apocalypse because <laughs> because because this is more realistic right yeah of course um we did we did this zombie run and and it, it was a cross country all through these uh, hills up and down. They had all of these obstacle areas, and then they had what they know, what they were called as zombie zones. So you didn't end up running the whole time because you needed to sprint through the zombie zones. And everybody was wearing a flag, like flag football. If you got three flags taken off of you before you made it to the end, you were considered infected, and you you get an infected medal at the end. And if you get to the end with at least one flag, you're considered a survivor. One of the first things that we did with the first zone. As I was reaching to kind of help a friend of ours who came, 
and I was trying to grab her hand to kind of lead her through. And all of a sudden, it pulled me around. I got spun over, fell down, up around already. At that point, Zombie took one of my flags. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be helping anybody again. My wife and I were sitting there. I'm like, okay, this next one, you run that way. I'm running this way. I'll see you on the other side of the field because we both have to have complete control of everything. You realize very, very quickly when you're being pursued, you, you got to take care of yourself. It's like the whole airplane thing. Put your mask on first right. before you help somebody else. That's true. Um, I, I thankfully don't think I've ever been in that type of situation, uh, not even for fun like you did. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can't really weigh in on that. <laughs> but but it's, just, it's great. But it's, it's great. It's great to it, hear the story from you. It was then I now where, know how it works. Yeah. It, and honest to God, it was the funniest thing. And my wife and I have said this to friends is like you realize if there was ever a, quote, zombie apocalypse, everyone for yourself. You hope to get to the end. You want to work together, but you're not clinging on one another running through them. You need full freedom and flexibility if you want to survive. And uh, it, it always strikes me funny now whenever I see a scene like this in a movie because it is a human – it's human nature to want to maybe protect, and you think by holding on to somebody you're going to protect them. But in, in reality, it doesn't really do anything right. besides slow you both down. That's true. Now, did you notice that behind these two people, the, the couple that fell down, so there's a guy with a blue shirt uh, wearing a baseball hat. Did, did you did you take a look at him as he's running? He, he he you can tell that he's following someone's direction. Okay, if you if you start at the 52 second mark and you, you just let it run, he keeps looking over towards the camera. Okay, and he's like jogging along, waving his uh, arms around. Do you see what I'm talking about? Let's see, about 52. It just says the Look behind them, there's a guy falls. in a blue shirt with a baseball hat. What, with a, a red brim? Yes. Okay, I'm looking at him. But do you know so what watch I Watch him run along now. But it looks like a fake run the entire way that he's doing it. He's like, you know, listening to the director say, okay, um, turn at the corner, <laughs> pretend you know you're running. Because look at his arms. He's not really running. I think everyone's doing He's like dog paddling. Everyone's doing this. Everyone's adding additional motion to make it look like it's more frantic. Maybe. Some people are doing it better than others, but if you watch everybody, like everybody's like almost pumping their arms more than they would. They're all kind of moving because they're not running full speed, but they're trying to make it look like it's all this energy. So, yeah, I think right. we had this one guy who was just getting into it a little bit more than everyone else, but that's funny. It's, it's, it's actually visually creating more energy even though they're not really running at full speed yeah for sure <laughs> and I, I think they're just doing really well here All i right. bet they I, had like a, I bet they had the whole crowd like the 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 b unit director whoever was going to be in charge of all the background extras or even a c unit with a big motion picture like this he probably had okay here's what we're going to do and we want to make it look like we don't want anybody getting hurt Okay, everybody here, you're all an extra, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to, and you just pump, but kind of jog, but pump, but kind of jog. Make it look like you're running really hard, but kind of jog. So that way you can, you can react in case somebody trips and falls. Yes. <laughs> I've seen this before with massive sword fights. If you slow down things like Braveheart, you'll see guys that are just in the background and they're just making X's with their swords. But because they have these edits so fast that you don't pay attention, you're kind of watching what's in the foreground. But then you stop and you go, those guys aren't really even fighting. They're just going clang, 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 clang. <laughs> but because there's so many people doing that, you just your mind just can't follow it all. Right. It's true. And they 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 do this really well. 
yeah. I mean, and, uh, it's with, a great scene. The, like I said, the energy, they're all running for the exit. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, but, but you know, you, you bring up the point that it just doesn't make any sense of no. where they're all running to. I think no, maybe but, it's just that they're trying to get out of the airport. That's what it is. The airport's been taken over, but the parking lot has not. So, you know, you, you have a way of doing that. Yeah. You know, did you, did you see in the background, there's a guy who jumps up on, on, on top of, uh, also in, around the 52nd mark. If you take a look in the background, there's a guy who jumps on the the uh, luggage carts, like literally leaps onto them in the background, oh, and you see I, him like above everyone else. I don't think it's the luggage. I think it's a row of chairs. I, oh, oh, no, is that no, a row of chairs? Oh, you're right. You're uh, it could be either. Yeah, I th- but I think he, I I know what you mean. Where it's kind of got those back to back chairs, and he literally just yeah. hopped over them. <laughs> Yeah. I want to make it in the movie. I want to be in the movie. There's a lot of people whose faces are darting kind of toward where the camera is set up. There are hundreds of people that, that you know, when they watch this movie, pause it and say, hey, look, there's me. That was me. <laughs> there I am. I'm the guy, the guy, in the I'm the guy who jumped out here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I got paid 50 bucks to, to be in this with this scene <laughs> or whatever they pay uh, extras. Mm-hmm. You know, do, do, they, do they pay extras? I know you've been an extra in yes. movies. Yeah, it averages out to about minimum wage for a 12-hour day. So, you know, they 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 usually will 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 fool younger actors. They'll say something like, "Oh, well, we're going to hire you for a hundred dollars a day." You're like, "Oh, cool, it's a hundred bucks a day." You're like, yeah, but it's a 12-hour day. <laughs> hundred bucks for a 12-hour day? Yeah. Okay. Well, again, you know, maybe maybe they they let you go, uh, you know, eat from the craft services and you get whatever you want from the. Uh, you know, from the caterer or something like that. Maybe there are people who, you know, for them, it's it's worth it. You get paid a hundred bucks. You get all you can eat food, and you know, you get to be directed around and told, uh, okay, run this way, run that way, pretend you're being chased. Here's what I can tell you: there are a handful of people who are there. They're going to take it seriously. They've been on enough sets. They're okay being background extra. But almost everybody is hoping to be quote discovered. They're all, what can I do? What I'm going to but I'm willing to come to the set for minimum wage in 12 hour days because the director will scan the room, realize our other actress is not going to make it. We need someone. Look at you. You're the perfect fill in. doesn't work that way, but we all believe it. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're hoping for whenever you're, you're a oh, uh, when I first started, you're a background person? Oh, when I first started. Absolutely. I was like, as when you started, I- but I'm talking about now. Oh no, no, not now. No, no. If I I don't even do background extra stuff because I know exactly what to expect. I'm like, no, no. If I'm not at least gonna do something featured or spoken, I'm not doing it. No, but you told me that, that you were background in uh uh Guardians of the Galaxy too. Uh I wasn't background, we were watching it. It was it was shot in our hometown where I where I live and or the the the, the city where I live, and we watched them shoot it, but I wasn't in it, no. Oh, I thought you were. I thought you were. You were part of like a big crowd there or something. Like that. No, no, we were watching it. We were literally sitting in the radio. They redid the entire our entire town of downtown Cartersville became some Midwest town, and they literally re like put brand new labeling on all the windows, all the buildings. Everything was rebranded as if we were a completely different town for a two day shoot. It was over the weekend, and when the blobs are kind of exploding and. They're taking over all these towns when Ego is deciding he's going to have all these things, you know, destroying all these planets. Uh, we watched from the, from the window of our studio because they renamed our studio even. So we were just watching James Gunn shoot this scene 
from doing our radio show. We just couldn't have the outdoor speakers on. Oh, wow. It was really wild. Yeah. So we, we literally watched for two days filming a scene that lasted maybe 20 seconds in the movie. Very cool. And you yeah. can always say whenever you watch it, I saw that. I saw what they, I saw that without effects. And with all this fake running, uh, that's how this minute ends. So did you have anything else you want to say about this minute, Alan? No, no, I, I, I think we've got it pretty well covered. All right. Okay. So the, the script, uh, I'm just going to read it because it's, it's actually a little interesting here. So it starts off with Lorenzo screaming, holy sh**. And then he picks up a phone and says, this is Chief Lorenzo. I want every officer recalled now and assembled in body armor with full rep- weaponry in the motor pool in five minutes. It's time to kick ass. And in the script, the, the, the phrase kick ass is actually underlined. It says he slams the phone down, checks his pistol ammo, and rushes out the door. A startled and appreciative McLean beside him. Um, there is no mention of Marvin here, you know, screaming about the Iwo Jima. They, I guess, ad-libbed that one on there. And then it says, in the airport bar, as the tape recording concludes, the patrons are in shock. Already several begin to run out. Camera pans away from the terminal bar towards a gift shop. There, all the portable TVs on display are broadcasting the same thing. A customer hearing this drops a crystal vase. See, that, that was even in the script. <laughs> they don't talk about the, you know, the, 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 the blue water thing that you were talking about, but the, the vase is in there. And then basically the, uh, the, the quote from Thornburg is exactly the same. And then it says, uh, the terminal is suddenly full of screaming people. <laughs> and that's it. That's the way that they uh, do this. So, uh, Alan, did, did you have, like, maybe another story to tell everyone about uh, something that, that's happened to you that's uh, airplane or airport related? Yeah, I think uh, I wanted to tell something. We, you know, how you mentioned your story about being kind of caught but pre-9-11 with having um, a, 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 a basically live ammo in your bag. Yes. <laughs> yes. Here's how much it's changed. So they, you, you talked about bringing liquid in and, you know, going through the TSA, going through the, uh, the, the, the scanners, going through the line, having all your stuff x-rayed. The last time we traveled, it said you can have liquids, but no more than four ounces in any kind of a liquid liquid container. I was like, okay, well, I had a can of hairspray and my daughter's like, well, can you just fit this in your bag? It was just a can of hairspray, but it was like a aerosol. So it was a sealed can. You cannot open it. You can't unscrew it. It's just a can. But because it was more than four ounces, they confiscated it. I had to stand off to the side. They're like, sir, is this your bag? I'm like, uh, yeah. Sir, do you want to tell us what's in here? I'm like, uh, clothes. <laughs> They're just like, is that all that's in here? I'm like, uh, my shaver and some other things for traveling. And like, what's this tube? I'm like, hairspray? I'm like, is it more than four ounces? I'm like, it's hairspray. It's not a liquid. He goes, well, it, it's a liquid inside there. It's like, you're really considering a can of hairspray as four ounces or more of a liquid. He's like, yep. <laughs> like, you know what? Throw it away. I don't care. I'll buy another can when I land. I was being probably less than uh, cooperative as a, as a, as a flying public with uh, these government agents. But I was like, are you kidding me? A, a, a can that you would have to puncture it with some kind of a weapon to open it up. You can't unscrew it. It's not liquid. It's not, it's not like shampoo or, or, or conditioner or something, but right. they still confiscated it. So that's, they're, oh, wow. they're serious about it. 
Well, if you're talking about things that have been confiscated, I, I was on a work trip, uh, I think it was nine years ago, uh, and I, I was in Germany, in Bonn, Germany, for, for a few days, and on my way home, so I happened to have a bottle of, of Heinz ketchup in my bag uh, that I had been using, you know, while I was there. And I was like, I'm not going to throw away the bottle. I'll, I'll take it home and I'll, you know, continue using it at home. What's the big deal? And when I went through the security in Germany, they 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 pulled it out. And actually, also I also had a, a thing of of mustard, you know. And they they took both of them out, and they're like, "You can't take this on the plane." I'm like, "It's ketchup and mustard. What am I going to do with it?" <laughs> nope, you got to get rid of it. So I had to throw it away. I wasn't really going to sit there and argue with them. Uh, about See, it because they saw it's not worth impossible it once and they realize if you take the red side and mash it against the green side you've got these two compounds you're really that's disguised to look like ketchup mustard but what you're going to do is you're going to create an explosive compound of course of course that's exactly yeah, what i was going to that's do. what all the bad guys are doing that's right and then some of the good guys james bond does that too you know so <laughs> you know, he's he's got his uh you know uh plastic uh gum so you know it's like, it's not not impossible <laughs> whatever what can i tell you <laughs> all right so alan you want to tell people uh, where they can find alan sanders yeah you did mention both of my shows uh you don't necessarily skirt the line of politics but i've got a show where i do i talk all the news and, uh, and happenings of the day the alan sanders show it's a week uh, news podcast you can find that wherever you find your favorite podcast and then we do have an entertainment one my buddy walt and i did the wilder ride where we did movies of Gene Wilder for two seasons, turned it into a talk show during the great uh, flu outbreak of 2020. And uh, you've got four seasons worth of material that you can go and enjoy. And I think a lot of fun there still. They're, uh, they're, all, they're pretty evergreen, so you can catch them anytime. Just go to thewilderride.com or just search for The Wilder Ride wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, subscribe, any podcast you might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick... Search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, which is for some reason now called X. And you can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. So until tomorrow, yippee kaye. Yippee kaye. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages here and